0: my thanks to those that have already been said for everyone here the pastor brandon and his wife and family and all the others that have worked and put in so much work and time i know that these meetings take an incredible amount of physical effort as well as prayer and and uh uh, different things to uh to make everything come together i'd like to thank everyone that has traveled so far to be here you all have been a uh, incredible blessing and encouragement to me and i needed it so Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that the Lord has met with us, and I have already gotten a incredible blessing, and I've had my battery charged, and we're not halfway through yet. So uh, I might have to get another battery, and uh, <laughs> you know, get get some more charge capability here. So uh, um, I could stop right here and just say ditto, and I yield my time. But that wouldn't be Baptist, would it? So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> brother, brother, uh, brother Michael, I was going to tell you to uh, leave your gate open because uh, I'm coming out of the barn and I'm heading to your pasture, brother. But then, uh, brother Odom, he saddled up my horse. <laughs> so, uh, turn to Hebrews if you would, <laughs> uh, chapter number one. <clears throat> we'll start at the other end, and brother, brother, uh, brother Odom finished up the book I'm going to try to give you the introduction so um, the book of Hebrews begins with what I consider to be a phenomenal statement and that phenomenal statement is that God is speaking and last night we were all challenged and encouraged that we need to be a praying people and we need to talk to God But I want us to consider as well that God is talking to us. God is speaking. Consider that for just a moment, that God is actually speaking to us. One man that I read after said this, that one of the most important assertions made by the author of Hebrews, in fact, made anywhere in Scripture, is the assertion that God is not only a speaking God, but that God is speaking to you. And He has spoken throughout history, and that now He is giving His final revelation, and that final word is Jesus Christ. Read with me, if you will, from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning right at the very beginning of this book. The author says, God... "...who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which the angels said, He at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels, spirits, and his ministers, a flame of fire. This phenomenal letter that is written to the Hebrews begins with this simple sentence. But what a theological treatise in one sentence. Notice how he starts. God, pause, comma. How, how many books have you ever read? How many letters have you ever read that has one word and then a punctuation mark that you've got to stop and pause for just a minute? God, yep. comma. Stop and think for a minute after you have the word God. Because all theology, all systematics, all uh, hermeneutics, all witnessing, everything that you need to do begins with God and flows down from there. We don't start with the felt needs of man. We don't start with the feelings of man. We don't start with your realization. We don't start with what you think you need and work up to God. We start with God and then we move down. And this author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, starts with the word God, pause, stop, consider. Now we'll move on to the rest of what I'm going to say. After God, comma. Jesus is preferable to all of the prophets. You see, He starts with this treatise that we have a long ago witness The long-ago witness is the fact that God was speaking. The human author of Hebrews, whether you believe it was Paul, or Apollos, or Timothy, or Luke, you see, everybody that preaches from Hebrews has an opinion. And we tell you who we think it was, but none of us know for sure. And that's why we don't argue about it. Because you notice, unlike all of the other letters... This author doesn't even mention who he is. He doesn't sign the letter. The human author Hebrews doesn't identify himself by name because he doesn't want to detract from the thrust of his opening statement, God, comma. God is speaking. Who's writing this doesn't matter. God is talking. Focus on God. Listen to him. Listen to God, because God is talking, and God is writing through the inspiration of the Spirit, and who the man is that's picking up the pen is irrelevant. God speaking. God at sundry times, many times in the past, throughout history, God has been speaking from the writings of Job, if you believe that Job was the earliest book, or from the writings of the Pentateuch when Moses picked up his pen, or rather when Moses carried the tablets written with the finger of God. 1500 years B.C. Through to the time of Nehemiah and Malachi, God had been revealing Himself to mankind. God has revealed Himself. God at sundry times has been speaking He revealed Himself to mankind. God came down in the garden and spoke to Adam. Adam didn't start talking to God. God spoke to Adam. God spoke to Abel. That's how Abel knew to bring a proper sacrifice. Cain didn't bring the right sacrifice. But you know, God even spoke to Cain, didn't He? He said, The ground crieth out. Amen. God talks, brother. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush that was not consumed. God spoke to all the descendants of Abraham. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. Oh, many times. He says in diverse manners. This speaks... To the many ways in which God had spoken. God revealed Himself in so many ways in these diverse times, in times past, this long ago witness. God had revealed Himself, oh, to Joseph Behold, this dreamer cometh. Well, we don't like that dreamer. Let's throw him in a pit and send him to Egypt, where God had a plan, right? And we have an interpreter of dreams. Well, we don't know what this means. Let's send for that interpreter of dreams, this man named Daniel. Oh, it was the angel of the Lord that spoke with Abraham. It was the angel of the Lord himself that spoke with Jacob. It was the angel of the Lord that Hannah saw. It was Manoah, his wife, that said, oh, we are going to die. We're going to die, we're going to die, we're all going to die. There were other angels that spoke to Lot and to his family that literally came down into the city of Sodom and and put their hands on them and carried them forth out of the city. God Himself spoke to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friends. Yes, God had sent His Word through the work. Our text tells us of His prophets. God has revealed Himself to man, throughout history. You know what the problem is? We're not listening. We don't like it. We're not learning. That's our problem. This long ago witness, it's not silent. We're stubborn. And so, He hath in these last days sent us His last witness. The long ago witness has now sent us His last witness. He has spoken by His Son. The writer now of Hebrews places us into the last days. You see, this is a continuation of the theme that has always been the theme of history the theme of history is that god is revealing himself to his people this is not a new theme this is a continuation of the same theme i draw your attention quickly to the book of exodus in the book of exodus in chapter number 34 come quickly to verse number 5 you'll see the theme one of my favorite sermons god himself is the preacher God Himself is the subject. God Himself is the theme. God Himself is the conclusion. In Exodus 34 and verse number 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And notice what He says. The Lord passed by before Him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. That's the sermon. That's what God preaches. Now, notice... He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And notice now in the next verse, in verse number 8, Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. When God's people hear God's voice, worship is what the result is. We bow our heads in worship. That's the long ago witness. God revealing Himself to His people. We haven't been listening. And now in Hebrews, the last witness in the last days. This verse shows again the continuation of the same theme. God's revelation of Himself. You see, the incarnation of Christ is the beginning of the last days. As a point... Let me say this. If you're one that happens to be waiting for a better time or a future time or waiting for the last days to seek the Lord, we're there. We've been there for 2,000 years. Peter tells us that Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. And he also says he was manifest in these last times for you. And so you see this theme of God revealing himself to the people again. John says, little children, it is the last time. As you have heard that Antichrist shall come, that's the future Antichrist, even now... Are there many antichrists whereby we know it is the last time? The apostles are in agreement. We're there. Don't wait for some future time. We're there now. And so he says, now the message is complete. This is God's final word. He has nothing else to say. There is no more message from God after He has sent His Son this is the last word. And so God proclaims this message. This is my final word. Let me just make this example. You were a child once. You have children. You ever have a disobedient son that you ever finally said, I'm done talking. We're done. There's no more talk. We're, we're finished talking about this. You're either going to obey... And we'll be in fellowship. Or you're going to continue to disobey and you're going to suffer the consequences. It's the last word. We're done talking. Time to talk is done. I have sent my son. You killed him. What else do you want me to say? What else do you think I'm going to send your way for this message? See, this is the last witness. And here's the message. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. He's appointed Him heir of all things. By Him He made the worlds. He is the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person. He upholds all things by the word of His power. He by Himself purged our sins. He sat down on the right hand of the measures He on high. It's not a bad message. It's a it's a cheerful message. It's a message of reconciliation. John reveals that Jesus is the Word. This is the message. This is the same way that John started. It's the way that John began his Gospel in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In John 1, verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us this is his theme of chapter 2 all the benefits of christ coming in the flesh we beheld his glory thank you the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and so jesus is this last witness there are no more witnesses now i know you're saying all the apostles were witnesses right but they were apostles of christ john wrote the revelation The unfolding, the unveiling of Christ, right? We're witnesses, but what are we witnesses to? Of Christ. And so what follows in the next two verses is seven titles and seven functions of this message of Jesus as the last witness. And since the brethren that went before me covered this so well, we'll go through them quickly. In verse number two. We see Jesus as the successor. Notice that He says He is the heir of all things. He is the successor, the heir. Eventually, He inherits everything. All things will be under the direct control of Christ Jesus. His inheritance is the exercise of all authority which the Father has already given to Him. And He will soon inherit and exercise that authority. Notice next, not only has he been appointed heir of all things, by whom, by Christ, he also made the world, so he is the source of all things, the creator of all things. All things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made, is how John puts that. He returns to that, as we were shown in Hebrews chapter 11. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which were Seen, we're not made of things which do appear. And we understand that to be not only the vocal word of God, but the living word of God. Yeah. Also in verse number three, he's the brightness of his glory, shining. He's the shining of the glory. Ah, the glory. That word here. In this text, it's a rare word that's only used here in the New Testament. It means to send forth a bright, shining, effulgent light. It's a rare word. Some, and I'm not going to tread off into unfamiliar or unwelcomed waters. I'll just say this. Some modern new translations, not all of them, but some of them will use the word reflection in this verse. Jesus does not reflect the glory of the Father. He shines His own radiant glory. The Son does not reflect God's glory because He is fully God. He radiates His own glory. John again says, we beheld His glory. Glory, the glory as that's a conditional statement, right? Same in essence, same in quality, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. James 2, verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. Just cast your eyes across the page to chapter 2 and verse number 9. We see him crowned with glory. As Brother Michael pointed out earlier in Matthew 25 and verse 31, we see Jesus Christ with glory, his own glory. We know this is true because Jesus is coexisting, he's co eternal, he's co equal, and he cooperates with everything that the Father does. He has his own glory. We see next in verse 3 what I call the stamp because He's the express image of His person. I won't give you all a Greek lesson, but this is another one of those Greek words that's only used here in the New Testament. Let me pronounce it for you. Character. Sound familiar? It's where we get our English word character. And so Jesus is the same character as the Father. It simply means the facsimile, the stamp. It's an exact copy. It's an exact reproduction of the father the apostle paul uses a similar concept in second corinthians chapter 4 verse number 4 he talks about this world he says in whom the god of this world has blinded their minds you see how it contrasts with that shining radiance He says, he's blinded their minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, see how he's tying these concepts together, the light of that glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And he uses that word image there. Another Greek word, I I said I wouldn't give you a Greek lesson, but, you know, this word, icon. Y'all know what an icon is? That's where we get our English word icon. Y'all have a computer and you click on the, Icon. It's what it is. It's a perfect picture. It's a perfect representative. What he's making the case of here is Jesus is not like God. Jesus is God. He is the exact nature. He's the perfect representative. He is the exact essence. He says Jesus is God. I'll move on. Also there in verse number 3, we see the sustainer. Jesus maintains everything. He upholds all things by the word of His power. We've heard it already mentioned in Colossians chapter 1. He's before all things and by Him all things consist. Jesus is the creator. He's the coordinator. He is the custodian. It implies that Jesus Himself maintains all things in the universe by His own word and by His own authority. Notice next, He's the purifier. He had Himself purged our sins i have here the word sacrifice and the word savior i had to put two here for my alliteration i just sacrifice itself wouldn't do savior how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living god i'll read you what Mr. Spurgeon said about this. Spurgeon, in quoting this verse and commenting on this particular verse, he said, Is it not a wonderful thing? A wonderful thing, meaning that it's almost too difficult to imagine, too hard to comprehend. He says, Isn't it such a wonderful thing that Jesus made purification for our sins even before we committed them? There they stood, in the sight of God, standing before God, already existing in all of their heinousness, in all of their hideousness. And yet, holy Christ, incapable of sin, incomprehensible, stooped to make the purification for our sins. Unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. He purchased the church with His own blood. Acts 20 verse 28 says, John tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. The seventh title we see here in verse number 3. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the sovereign. He is the ruler. Jesus proclaimed this position for Himself before His death. He said, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then after the resurrection, when He'd spoken to them in Mark 16, verse 19, He was received up to heaven and He sat down on the right hand of God. And it was a, it was a fulfillment of prophecy that the Lord had spoken in time past. Again, the long-ago word when David had said in psalm 110 the lord said to my lord sit thou at my right hand till i make thine enemies thy footstool oh yes all of these things is what jesus is and that's why he is the last word that's why he is preferable to all the prophets and yet our author isn't done still still within this first sentence as it is laid out in our Bibles, we see that he is above the angels. He is not only preferable to the prophets, he's above the angels. He is God's superior servant. And this is so important because there was a, I don't want to go into too much of a history lesson, but there was a sect of these There was a sect of these uh, uh, Hebrews. There was a sect in in Judaism which believed that angels would even be superior to the Messiah. And what he's doing here is he's just destroying that. And he's using their own scriptures to do it. Because what follows in the rest of chapter 1 is seven different quotations of their own scriptures to prove exactly what Jesus said. You err not knowing the scriptures. You err not knowing your own scriptures. You're just not reading... The long ago witness. And he starts in verse number 4, being made so much better than the angels because he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than the angels. He has an incomparable identity because of his inheritance. And this word is a translation of a word which refers to his change of state when he gave up heaven to come down and take on the seed of Abraham. Jesus has eternally existed. He just established that. But He was temporarily made for a little time lower than the angels. He takes that up again in chapter 2 when He says we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, but He is now crowned with glory and honor. And after the completion of this sacrificial work, Jesus is again exalted on high. He's ascended to the right hand on high. And, and man, I want to preach the rest of this chapter. I know we don't have time. But in verse 5, he's quoting psalm 2 and and 2nd samuel chapter 7 he says he's the supernatural son he's not just the son of david he is the supernatural son he's the seed of abraham he's the seed of the woman he's david's greater son he's solomon's future son that's what all the prophecies were pointing to verses 6 and 7 this is willing worship it's what the angels bow down to no, but the angels, didn't, the angels did not allow humans to bow down and worship them. Go read the text. He says every time that someone bowed down and tried to worship the angels, they didn't allow it. Stand up. I'm just a messenger, just like one of you. But when Christ came, the angels themselves bowed down and worshipped Him. You move on just a little bit further and you get to verses 8 and 9. He is the great God. The Father. Says to the Son, you're God. Yeah, I'm God, but you are God. You're the God. And again, he's quoting the fifth quote. Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. You get to the uh, verses 10 through 12. He is creation's constant. Again, Brother Oldham covered this. But he is the constant of creation. He created all things. He's going to consume all things at the end, because he is the constant. It reminds me again of, of what David said in, or what Moses said in Psalm number 90, the earliest of all the psalms. Again, a reference to the long-ago witness, the first psalm ever written. Lord. Thou has been our dwelling place in all generations. God, You've been talking. You've been speaking to us. You've been trying to get our attention. And You've been trying to tell us about Yourself because we are Your covenant people. We don't listen. Lord, You are our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou has formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. That's not just talking about his sovereignty. That's talking about his eternality. From everlasting to everlasting. God, you are God. Verses 13 and verse 14, he calls him the mighty monarch. He is the mighty monarch because of the position of His reign. What's the position of His reign? In verse number 13, you see that He says, Sit on My right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Referencing back to verse number 3. What does He say? Sit down on the right hand of God. The position of power. The position of favor. Look at the power of His reign. The power of His reign... Jesus Himself said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That word for power means all authority. Paul says He is the head of all principality and all power. We see His power in verse 3. It comes from His intercession. He had by Himself purged our sins. He intercedes for us. In verse 4, It comes from His inheritance. He hath by inheritance obtained His name. In verse number 2, God has appointed Him heir of all things. We see His inheritance. His power comes in verse number 10 by His influence. Notice it says, everything was created by the works of thine hands. In verse number 12, His power comes from His immutability. Thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. That's where His power comes from. It is the Father's will that the Son should reign. And it should reign in His own right hand. The angels here are just ministers to those who will be saved. And they execute the variety of God's commands. But it's also God's will that you submit to the Son. It's God that's talking. He's talking through His Son. And He's saying, listen... Submit to the Son. That's my final word. I don't have anything else to say. If you don't hear Him, it's because you're not listening. Because I've been talking from the beginning of creation. I've talked in a variety of ways through a variety of people. And I wrote it down. If you didn't hear it, then go read it. If you forgot it, read it again. If you're not hearing, it's because you're not listening. God has spoken. He's spoken, and these are the last days, and that's the last Word. It's His full Word. It's His final Word. God sent His Son, the final Word, by His final messenger. It is Jesus, the anointed Almighty, the very image of God Himself. He's the great God, the mighty monarch, the supernatural Son of an incomparable identity. He's greater than anything else. He's preferable to the prophets. He's above the angels. He's mightier than Moses. He's a better sacrifice than all of the temple sacrifices. God has spoken many times by many ways, but now He has spoken in an unmistakable way. It's the very Word Himself. It is God's Word. It is God's Son. So here's the question. Why didn't He just start there? Why didn't God just give us His Son in the first place? Oh, I mean, there is a lot of trouble to go through, right? This is, a lot of, this is a lot of ink and paper to waste on people that aren't listening. Well, because I'm too proud. And I wasn't listening. And I needed a lot of ink and paper. So are you? It's almost like the father constantly let us play out all these options in history because we had to realize how incompetent we were how dumb, how silly, how foolish I mean we had to go through this whole entire process of history or else we're always going to be arguing with God why did you have to become a man God? why did you have to dwell among us? You did not have to die for us. Why don't you just give us ten rules? Right? Why don't you just give us ten rules to obey? We could have, we could have followed ten little rules. Why did not you just give us a book? We'd have read your book and we'd have done what you told us in a book. Well, isn't that just like we are as humans? We think we can do it ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. We feel like we can. And so we want to try because we feel like we can. We feel like we should. We, in our minds, we, we know we can. And so God allows all this history so at the fullness of time, He would send His Son. That's His final word. And all of history would unfold so we would know what losers and failures and blockheads and sinners we were yeah. and so we would really know that we're stuck and if it wasn't God that moved on our behalf yeah. Yeah. we would be the crazy messed up, mixed up killing each other society that we already are Lord, we needed a savior God. and we needed a savior that would die for us yes. and we needed a savior that would reveal himself to yes. us yes. and Absolutely. there was only one that could do that yeah. It was a God-man. Yes, it was Jesus. Yeah. And the question, not of the hour, not of the day, or of the year, but the question of your eternity is, do you know the God-man? And have you heard God's final word? Are you listening? Are you learning? And are you loving him? Brother Brandon. Friday. Let's all stand, we're going to sing a concert.